Saka, okay, fine. Sige, let's assume na apolitical nga siya. Just for the sake of argument, ano? What does that say about his values? Mm. Kumbaga, if you can afford to be apolitical, to not think or to ignore the implications of a dictatorship, what does that make you? Diba? Parang, how should history judge Cesar Virata? Brilliant scholar, competent administrator, old-class technocrat, or someone who blindly followed orders? Magandang araw sa inyong lahat at nagbabalik kami para sa fifth episode ng ating current season na Shapers and Shakers, Personalities of Martial Law. This is Vekal Borja. This is Lee Candelaria. This is Hasalito Ebro. And this is Aaron Maliari and you are tuned in to podcast Conversations in Philippine History, Politics, and Society. So last week, pinag-usapan natin si Edgar Hobson na maskiela nga sa bansag na EdJob. Student leader, labor organizer, and revolutionary. Ngayong araw, pag-uusapan natin ang isa namang personality na kumbaga ay nasa kabilang side naman. So, kakaunti sa tingin ko ang nakakilala dito sa taong ito, despite the important and remarkable roles that he played in the Marcos Senior Administration, ito ay walang iba kundi si Cesar Virata. Cesar who? <laughs> so, sino siya? No? So, sa mga taga-UP, no? sigurado familiar yung pangalan na ito kasi I think a little more than a decade ago uh, and and despite the protests of many groups in the university the college of business administration was renamed as the virata school of business pero bakit nga ba sino si cesar virata ano ang kinalaman niya sa history ng martial law at ano yung mga papel na ginampanan niya sa iba't ibang institutions and organization sa Pilipinas. So, nabibilang si Cesar Virata doon sa mga technocrats na tinapik ni Marcos bilang kanyang economic managers nung kanyang rahimen. And why not? He was one of the brightest economists, business administrators, and consultants during his time. I mean, he was educated in UP and later on went to the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School of Business and served the UP's College of Business Administration faculty for decades. In fact, by 30 years old, Virata was already appointed as Dean of the CBA. Oh, diba? Dean. Hmm. Dean agad, But 30 years old. Eh, kayo hmm. ilang taon na kayo? Dean ba kayo? Cesar <laughs> Virata lang malakas. <laughs> Actually, kung tutuusin, no, napakalaking bahagi ng buhay ni Virata yung UP. Kasi yung tatay niya, si Dr. Enrique Virata, ay isa ring professor Uh, professor of Mathematics, if I remember correctly, na naging dekano rin ng noon ay UP College Baguio. No? At naging UP Vice President at nag-serve din bilang acting president uh, or acting UP President bago yung appointment noon ni UP President uh, Vicente Cinco. Yeah, no, that's right. So, si Cesar Virata was born on December 12, 1930. Panganay sa magkakapatid at unang pumasok sa UP Preparatory School noong siya ay grade 4. No, nang ma-appoint ang tatay niya as Dean of UP College Baguio noong October 1941, nag-relocate yung pamilya nila sa Baguio. But of course, we know that after two months, the Second World War Uh, reached the Philippines no? at ang unang binomba ng mga hapon noong December 8, 1941 ay ang Baguio City. So, minabuti nila Enrique Virata at ng kanyang pamilya na umuwi sa kanilang hometown sa Cavite kasi 
mas may access sila noon sa pagkain kasi nga wartime no so siguro mas safe na din in many ways so young Cesar continued his studies sa isang private school sa Cavite but had to stop because of the intensifying encounters nung panahon ng digmaan nang matapos ang giyera noong 1945 inilipat si Cesar sa UP High School senior year niya ito and his father believed that it would help him for his preparation para sa kanyang pagkokolehiyo sa UP. Verata commenced his bachelor's degree in UP and took up mechanical engineering. Pero dahil mas gusto ng tatay niya na mag-aral siya ng business or law, nag-compromise siya and also took up business administration. He finished these two degrees in five years. As a student, Verata was chairperson of the Senior Student Council. So, he also played sports and was a member of academic honor societies. Diba? What a nerd. <laughs> All-rounder. So, <laughs> so, after graduation, he was recruited to the faculty of the College of Business Administration. At katulad ng kanyang ama ay nakapag-aral din sa Amerika. So, he took his MBA, as mentioned earlier, at the Wharton School of Business. So, yung study grant na binigay sa kanya, isang taon lang. Kaya talagang sinikap niya na matapos yung NBA sa Wharton in one year, kahit na usually yung program ay usually two years. Ano? <laughs> oh, diba? diba? Samantalang yung iba dyan, no? ang lakas mag-claim na nakapagtapos sa Wharton, pero hindi <laughs> naman, diba? No? So, yeah. so, bumalik siya sa pagtuturo sa UP. Uh, nag-practice din ng consultancy sa SGV o yung Sisip Gores Velayo. Isa sa pinaka-prestigious na accounting firms sa Pilipinas at sa Asia na rin. No? So, by 1960, UP President Carlos Romulo appointed him as the Dean of the College of Business Administration. So, one interesting fact is it was during his term that the Department of Economics separated from the College of Business Administration at naging UP School of Economics nga. So, sinuportahan niya itong pagbubuo ng hiwalay na School of Economics. He was dean until he resigned in 1969 upon being appointed as finance secretary by Ferdinand Marcos Sr. So, yun, yun yung simula ng kanyang karira sa gobyerno. At pag-uusapan natin yan sa ating pagbabalik. Bago pa man maging finance secretary si Virata, marami na siyang engagement sa ekonomiya ng bansa, lalo na when he managed large-scale investments in agriculture sa Mindanao and also as a consultant for SGV. So, ang pinaka-remarkable dito, yung mga plantation or fruit plantations ng Dole. Also, while still working at UP, he was already a consultant for various government agencies like PCSO, Bureau of Customs, and Metropolitan Waterworks and Sewerage System or MWSS. By 1967, he was appointed by Marcos Sr. as head of the Board of Investment under the Presidential Economic Staff. And as the head of the Board of Investment, ang priority industries noon ay nickel mining saka yung mga banana plantations under the United Foods Corporation sa Mindanao. But when he was appointed as finance secretary, ang pinagtuunan niya ng pansin ay yung pangungulekta ng buwis, panloob at panlabas kasi under DOF, ang Bureau of Internal Revenue at Bureau of Customs. 
So dito may mga nakabangga siya na mga veteranong commissioners, uh, mga kamag-anak at crony ni Marcos na nasa posisyon din ng mga panahon na yon, lalo na nung nag-introduce siya ng mga reforma. Actually, yung pagkakaroon din natin ng TIN or yung tax identification number, nagsimula yun under his term. Yung original na pangalan ay tax accounting number or TAN. So, as finance secretary, Virata initiated reforms for more efficient tax collection, for example. So, he did his job as any competent bureaucrat and administrator would. Pero pagpasok ng martial law, he would be confronted with different and arguably more challenging roles. Yeah, no? So, bago pa man ideklara ang martial law noong 1972, nagsimula na ang maneuvers ng administrasyong Marcos para baguhin ang konstitusyon. By 1973, naratipikahan ang bagong konstitusyon na ito. Siyempre, very undemocratically. At noong 1978, binuo naman yung interim batasang pambansa na nagsilbing transitional legislative body nung panahon na yon. So, sa simula, Marcos Sr. served as both the President and Prime Minister of the Republic. Pero noong 1981, Parehong taon kung kailan formally nilift yung martial law, Cesar Virata was appointed as the Prime Minister by the majority party in the Batasan. Na walang iba kundi ang partido ni Marcos na kilusang bagong lipunan or yung KBL. This is actually what differentiates Virata from other Marcos technocrats like si Gerardo Sicat. No. Virata served as Prime Minister of a legislative body na alam naman ng lahat ay napasailalim ng kapangyarihan ng diktador na si Marcos. And he was placed there by the party of the dictator. Maraming mga hakahaka kung bakit si Virata yung nilagay doon sa posesyon na yun. According to his biographer, Gerardo Sicat, pinili daw si Virata kasi magaling siya bilang statesman. Tsaka may credibility raw siya sa buong mundo. To be fair, hindi nga naman siya nasangkot sa mga katiwalian at sa mga human rights violations sa ilang dekada niya sa pamahalaan. Yung iba naman, sabi nila, Virata was chosen as prime minister dahil hindi siya kinakitaan ng political ambition. So alam ni Marcos na kung dumating yung panahon na may over sa kanya, either si Imelda or kung sino paman. So hindi magiging obstacle itong si Virata kahit na siya ang incumbent prime minister. Marcos believed that he'd rather stay working in finance and economics. Yes, yeah, so according to UP political science professor Teresa Tadem, talagang maituturing si Cesar Virata bilang primus inter pares or first among equals when it comes to the technocrats who worked under Marcos. And she attributed this to various factors. Yung isang pinakatumatak sa akin though ay yung sinabi ni Dr. Tadem tungkol sa convergence ng economic ideas ni Marcos at ni Virata na nagbibigay diin doon sa developmentalist economic approach kung saan yun nga magbubuhos ng pera yung gobyerno sa mga key industries ng bansa para mapalakas yung pag-export natin. So kaiba dun sa mga kasama niya sa Marcos technocracy na mas conservative pagdating sa government spending and investment. Um, ito naman si Virata talagang inadvocate niya and in fact even supported and popular economic policies like peso devaluation kasi naniwala siya na beneficial ito uh, para sa isang exporting economy na ini-envision na rin ni Marcos para sa Pilipinas. Mm, yeah, no? So, according pa nga rin kay Dr. Teresa Tadem, yung ganitong emphasis sa efficiency na yung somehow state-centric na investment ay isa sa mga dahilan kung bakit suportado ni Virata yung pagdedeklara 
ng martial law. He supposedly believed that in the face of unstable of an unstable economy, mahalaga yung authority ng Estado to cut through the red tape, uh, hasten economic legislation, and introduce no essential economic reforms. Uh, according pa rin kay Dr. Tadem, Virata rationalized martial law by saying na at that time, wala namang pinagkaiba yun sa ginagawa ng ibang mga bansa kagaya ng South Korea, Taiwan, at to an extent, Indonesia. In a way, tama si Sikat nung sinabi niya sa biography ni Virata na isa sa mga dahilan kung bakit si Virata ang pinili bilang Prime Minister by 1981 ay dahil mabango siya noon sa IMF at World Bank. Noong mga panahon na to, kasi shaky yung position ng Pinas when it comes to credit rating. So, kailangang ipakita ni Marcos na talagang seryoso siya sa pag-align ng ekonomiya ng bansa with World Bank and IMF by putting someone like Virata in a position of power. Pero maganda rin nga eh, yung discussion ni Dr. Teresa Tadem dun sa mga naging factor kung bakit hindi umalagwa yung karir ni Virata in politics. Una, after the assassination of Ninoy Aquino noong 1983, humina ang legitimacy ni Marcos. Lumakas ang oposisyon at nag-decline yung suporta ng IMF at World Bank sa Philippine government. Eh, yung connection nga ni Virata sa mga to, yung kumbaga puhunan ni Virata. Pangalawa, hindi katulad ng ibang mga opisyal at politiko, walang mass base itong si Virata. So, anong mass base niya? Mm. UP? <laughs> mm. <laughs> so, gustohin niya man, he was not really prepared to launch a career in politics. Yeah, no? so, dito sa kwentuhan natin so far, malinaw na yung ginagampan ng papel ni Virata sa Rehimeng Marcos ay primarily technocratic, bureaucratic, economic, at administrative. No, I mean, kahit yung basa niya sa mismong batas militar, uh, galing pa rin sa economic lens. No? So, kumbaga, walang pagsusuri doon sa political and social implications nito. Halimbawa, pagdating sa demokrasya, human rights, civil liberties, at iba pa. So, ano mang tingin nyo dito sa, na, sa masasabing pagiging quote-unquote apolitical na characteristics ni, ni Cesar Verata? Well, hindi ako masyadong convinced dun sa pagsasabi na political siya. Kasi dun pa lang sa pagka-appoint sa kanya bilang Prime Minister, nagsimula at nangyari yun through a very political process. Saka member rin siya ng KBL, di ba? So tingin ko, at for sure may value judgment dito, malinaw ang politika ni Verata. I mean, how could anyone perceive or come up with an economic vision without a particular kind of politics supporting it? Even yung mga examples na ginamit niya about our neighboring countries. Ang politika ng karamihan sa mga ito, especially nung panahon na yun, ay authoritarian din naman. Tama. Super agree ako dyan kay bro. Saka, okay, fine. Sige, let's assume na a political nga siya. Just for the sake of argument, ano? What does that say about his values? Mm. Kumbaga, if you can afford to be apolitical, to not think or to ignore the implications of a dictatorship, what does that make you? Diba? Parang, how should history judge Cesar Virata? Brilliant scholar, competent administrator, world-class technocrat, or someone who blindly followed orders? I have written about this before and I will, you know, talk about it again. 
Naniniwala ako that the biggest problem of our experts and our geniuses is their inability to think politically. Yeah, yeah. tama diba? No? So, kung napanood nyo na yung Oppenheimer, diba? I think isa yan doon sa uh, dapat sa ma- na mga takeaway ni- natin dito. No? So, like, aanhin mo naman yung husay at talino kung kumbaga bulag naman doon sa mga ibang bagay na arguably, no, mas mahalaga. Or, I think pwede pa nga sabihin na matalino nga ba talaga? Kasi, if, if hindi mo nakire-realize yun, eh, no? Um, I mean, fanboy itong si Virata ng IMF at ng World Bank. Sa tingin ko, kasaysayan na mismo magsasabi sa atin na parang hindi naman naging matagumpay ang mga institusyon na ito sa pagpapaganda ng ekonomiya ng mga global south countries sa buong mundo. But uh, then again, it's just me. Oh. Anyway, sige, last point na lang. Naalala ko kasi yung sinulat dati ni Hannah Arendt, isa sa mga prominent political theorists ng 20th century. So sabi ni Arendt, yung isa sa mga mahalagang attribute ng evil or ng kasamaan ay makikita dun sa kanyang pagiging banal, o yung tinatawag ni Arendt na banality of evil. So ibig sabihin yung everydayness, yung ordinariness, or yung plainness niya, it's what really defines evil. Like sabi niya, the greatest evil carried out in history of mankind um, weren't the ones carried out spectacularly, but those who were done quietly, habitually, and blindly. So, pending stretch. This could be a stretch, but I think we can apply it here. So, Virata did his job, and according to this or that measure, he did it well, without frills, without much show or whatever. But I don't think it makes it righteous. Pack, ganern. And the proverbial mic has been dropped. I mean, kami lang naman to. Our listeners can think about this more or maybe decide on the legacies of Cesar Virata. At yun naman yung point ng season na to, no? So that's our episode for today. At sana nag-enjoy kayo at may mga bago kayong natutunan. Yeah, as usual, follow us on our social media pages. We are on Facebook, Twitter, uh, na naging X na, Threads, uh, Instagram, and uh, LinkedIn. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Podcast TV, and listen to all of our past and future episodes by following us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And for more information about the show, visit our website. That's podcast.org. So hanggang sa muli, keep safe, and as always, have a good day.